Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and present. Hello, and welcome back to the Newberry Tart Podcast. I'm Jenny. And I'm Marcy. And today we're going to be reading the last honor book of 1963. It's The Men of Athens by Olivia Coolidge, um, with the art by Milton Johnson. Today we're drinking Retina, which is not a cocktail, but is a variety of wine that is Greek and very appropriate to the book. So I have a synopsis from Kirkus Reviews. Um, It was actually published originally on October 18th in 1962, and this is is the review. Um, The Golden Age of Athens is the setting for Olivia Coolidge's short stories depicting the life and the civilization. The intrigues of the Persian court at Sardis, the Olympic Games in which Crichton scores victories for Athens, the simple marketplace where the common artisan struggles to create an outstanding product, a political wrangle in which Thermistocles, the Athenian, outwits the Spartans. These are a few of the subjects. There is a legendary quality to the story of the birth of Pericles and a symbolic significance to the death of Socrates. In general, the flavor of life during the Golden Age is captured in one dimension, more appealing to the intellectual than the emotions because of the scholarly approach. Students already interested in antiquity will find the collection inviting. Okay. That is very spot on. <laughs> it is. That is a very uh, nice way of phrasing true things. Okay, so Olivia Coolidge uh, was... She's British. She's British. She she was a teacher of Greek, Latin, and English in Germany and England before she came to the United States, and then she taught in the Northeast. And very, like, classically educated, went to Oxford. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She got a degree in classics and philosophy there and a master's degree. This lady was super smart. This book is super smart. But not... Fun. But no, no, not fun. Not interesting. No. I mean... <laughs> Okay, so, all right. I have a lot of problems with this book. And I think the very first one is that, okay, I can read this book and I can kind of read it critically with an eye to the time and it was older and maybe the Newberry Committee was looking for different things. But there is no way to use that argument for this year because this is the year that A Wrinkle in Time won. So that is the quality of what was on, on offer Mm-hmm. besides this book like there's no there's no when you read the books from the 20s you know you're like okay they're drier they were aimed at a different kind of reading audience no there's no excuse there's no excuse for this book well in Thistlein time is I mean it's set in a faraway time or a mythical time that's tinged with farawayness I know right and also equally well researched in a scholarly way but it's fun so much fun this is this is the epitome of what I call spinach books. I don't think I'm the first person to use that term. I'm not going to be the last. It's the books that you're told or you think as a kid that you're supposed to read. Okay, but even for a spinach book, which I like that term, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're not wrong, it's lacking a lot of literary qualities that I think are required for even a good spinach book, which is crazy because this woman has written a ton, a ton of books. Like, it's not like this was her one attempt and, and done. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's no continuity. 
Like when you read these stories, each individual episode is separately written and there is no overarching narrative. Mm -hmm. There's no plot, even though it's easy to describe the history of Athens with a plot. And she flips back and forth between the third person and the first person in a completely maddening way, which is very distracting and not engaging. And when she is speaking in the first person, it's not the same first person. So all of these are failings that just take you out of the book and make it hard to really immerse yourself, mm-hmm. which, and I'm, I'm a 38 year old English major, you know, <laughs> like, if I can't get into it, how do you expect a child to get into it? I guess one could argue that maybe the children in the early 60s were smarter or (laughs) they were more scholarly. I guess you could say that, but I don't think that's true. I also don't think that my dissatisfaction with this book stems from it not being, or it doesn't stem from it being adult or scholarly. It stems from the fact that it, there's so much interesting stuff in that time period that actually happened and it made me not care about any of that stuff yeah it is hard because she she took all of the really fascinating things and they're honestly she made them boring yeah which is awful to say but no it's it's really true and you know reading stuff about the ancient greeks i didn't feel like there was a good capture of just the baseline stuff that we know about the Greeks. Yes, yes. I felt like that reading through it, like, okay, she's describing specific banquets or arguments or whatever, but there is no sense of the daily life, and there's no sense of familiarity with the terms she's using. So it made it feel like you were only seeing half of the story. Like, I didn't understand the world that it was happening in, so it made it very difficult to to really feel any of the stories i think maybe i've been spoiled by the stuff that i have read about the ancient greeks well because it has been really that it's been really interesting and really engaging well and then as far as gender politics goes there's a lot to dislike in this book okay so this is a woman writing in the 60s right (laughs) and even though what she's writing may have been an accurate reflection of the way things were in greece at the time of the stories in this book, there's still no way that you can put in phrases like, of course he tells me what to think, he knows better, he's a man, like, and then not have any further discussion of it. I, not knowing, I mean, because when we dug around for information on her, um, we only found basically her academic career, her dad's name in in Wikipedia, it makes it sound like she sprung from her dad's head, like (laughs) Athena from Zeus. How appropriate. Yeah. Um, We found, finally found her mom's name. So she did have two parents. Um, It's her biographies are short and they're concerned with her books, listing those titles, um, her education, who was her dad and then who she was married to. It does surprise me that she's a scholar and that she would be taking a back seat in a way to the men in her own story. Like I, maybe that's the, one of the things that bothered me the most about this is that she's the writer, she's the one in control, but she almost doesn't she almost just lets them the men in the stories take charge. 
Yeah. Um, and it's hard because part of me wants to think that that was a little sarcastic because you could totally read some of this in a sarcastic way, but there's no other indication that that's the case <laughs> is the problem. I'll read the whole thing in a sarcastic way. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I would, I would, all right. So I'm going to read from page 115 in the book where a woman whose husband is into politics is talking to like a female friend of hers who her husband doesn't like. Don't you ever make up your own mind? Not where Leon knows best, replied Fano simply. Of course he tells me what I should think about important things because he's a man. I would love to think that the author is writing that in a sarcastic way, but there's zero indication anywhere else. Well, I feel like even in Thistle and Time, when there were moments of examining gender politics, there was like a little wink in there, yeah. right? yeah. Like, there was always, like, a little, like, <laughs> Marcy doesn't even want to touch the Red Center at this point. I almost forgot and took a sip. <laughs> You'll find out why. Um, shh, secrets. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's just no sense of humor in this. There's no sense of awareness. Um, I, I guess it, it's not hard to imagine that she wasn't aware of or didn't think of women like didn't push for women's equality yeah um that's not hard to imagine I mean it was the early 60s but you know maybe okay because even in the 1960s and I would say even from the beginning of the birth of at least the children's literature in the United States most of it was written by women yeah, that's I would true. say children's stories are just sort of considered the yeah they're considered women women's, yeah. women's work, and um, so I feel like even in the, some of the earlier Newbery books, there's an awareness of or a yearning to take charge in those stories um, in a way that this just does not pick up on at all. And I can understand like the scholarly approach of wanting to go for verisimilitude but it just it just it lands wrong and then some of the other things are off too there's a a, a chapter called um after dinner stories where there's a woman called Aspasia who is essentially playing sort of a geisha role to a, a group of men. And so, let's see. Here's another. Okay, and it reads, Respectable wives were banned from Athenian dinner parties, but there were pretty young foreign girls like Aspasia whom one could hire. Some of these mixed dinners were little more than disgraceful orgies. So, that totally historically accurate i'm sure but it is a weird thing to put in a children's book <laughs> does and it have a glossary in the back that explains what an orgy is well so that's what i was wondering if maybe that's like a euphemistic term but i don't think so and then when you skip ahead a little bit there is another chapter called the adventure of the merchant's son where they switch to the first person yet again um <laughs> And they're talking about the narrator in that section, his grandmother. And his, his grandfather is dead, and his father is dead. 
And it says about the grandmother, to be frank, she had for many years a stall in the public market where she sold ribbons. Philemon put a stop to this when he was old enough, but the disgrace of it clung about him to his dying day. And it just is so weird because unless that is a euphemism for prostitution, it, it makes zero sense. Did ribbons, was a ribbon a panty? I don't know. <laughs> and I just, it doesn't make any sense because I don't see how that could be a euphemism when they have previously mentioned orgies. Like, why would you, why would you stop yourself from Yeah, just say it's a lingerie or it's a, it's a prostitution. I don't know. <laughs> It's just crazy. But like, oh, they, and then they say Philemon being brought up in this way amid the lowest class of porter, cloak snatcher, beggar, or hawker soon took service in the fleet to better himself. It's like, what is even happening in this book? I don't, that's, that's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I don't know how you can take something like the death of Socrates, how you can take early Olympics and suck the life out of it. Well, and assemble them in such a way that they make no sense. Yeah. If if they all fit together and made a real narrative, that would be one thing. Like, mm -hmm. if you could read it and have any sense of the continuity of it, then sure, like, maybe it's weird, maybe I don't like it, but, like, at least it would make sense. But this book does not make sense. I mean, each chapter has... I mean, each chapter at the beginning has the time period listed. And, right. it, you know, it does have it listed. And it's chronological, right? Yeah. But it's that just, doesn't that doesn't give you much. No. It and you know what? It feels like that. It feels like snapshots. It feels like if you're looking through a photo album and you are like, snap, here's a picture of one thing, here's a snap, here's a picture of another thing. And they're all in chronological order, but like there's no sense of the story as a whole or where they're even happening. That's what it feels like. But again, like, if you read them individually, while they're not to my taste, they're not bad. Each individual snapshot is not terrible. I don't really like them, but I don't, I wouldn't be like, oh, you like that? I can't believe you like that. I, I'm just hard-pressed to understand what stood out about this. I mean, the sheer amount of knowledge in one book is astounding. Mm-hmm. But as we've said, it, it's not interesting. It's not engaging. I don't completely understand what what was seen as superlative in this book. I don't see what the point was of this book. I mean, I would rather read a straight-up history book that was at least consistent. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm being mean. No, <laughs> I, I don't think we're being mean. I just, I think that, one, there's a... There's not a lot of information on her to frame her point of reference. She originated in Europe. Um, but there's no playful sense of storytelling that you would find in European folk tales or in European legends. Or even in, you know, history for children. It's serious. It, it very much is written as a textbook, it feels like. Yeah. Even the way that they speak is very dry and not ugh, good. <laughs> and then the illustrations, if we want to talk about them, are also just sort of nondescript. I think they were going for a little bit of like a Picasso line drawing look, but it's just kind of bland. 
That's where we differ in opinion. Oh, really? Yes. I think they're gorgeous. I think it's the only thing in that book that I find has merit. <laughs> um, one of the reasons is because it does feel like it's in the tradition of Picasso's line drawings. Um, and two, it's the one place where you see movement mm-hmm. and you see some kind of action. That is very true. I mean, um, they're, they're, they're more gesture drawings than finished drawings. I just feel like um, in a lot of kids' books of that age, like you get very similar drawings. So it's not that they're bad. They're actually fairly good. They just mm-hmm. don't stand out to me. Mm-hmm. I really, I love them. Um, like I said, the, the, it's the only thing I like about the book, really. Um, I feel like somehow it feels different than other line drawings I've seen. I feel like somehow you can see the layers of, like you can see in some of the the drawings, you can see like the person's body and their clothes at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, yes, on page 83, you can kind of see that guy's butt. That's kind of cool. Um, it feels Greek. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but he's also, he's got a cape and he's got full pantaloons on. Maybe he sells ribbons. So, so yeah, yeah. He's, he's selling some ribbons with that ass. Next um, time I have to insult somebody, I'm going to call them a ribbon seller and their face is just going to be like, what? Call him a ribbon you? maker. I think that's worse. There's a lot to be said about the, the drawings. And, um, I think that my only complaint is that there aren't more of them. I feel like it would have helped to humanize and helped to really break down the story in a more manageable way. I've seen a lot of line drawings like this, and I'm always astounded by what at first looks like a bunch of just scratching, but it ends up actually being a very detailed face or a detailed scene. These are are pretty incredible. I guess maybe part of it for me is that having a small background in art um i see them more as uh sketches of and rather uh, sketches instead of finished illustrations Mm -hmm. but as long as they're coming across the right way i guess that doesn't matter and i think maybe because i'm so into comic books i think that might have something to do with yeah why i find them enchanting in in a way um more into the action aspect yeah, there's there's a lot more. That's one of the things that I find fascinating about comics is the action that is implied outside the panel. Mm-hmm. Um, so for all of these drawings to feel like there's there's a next step or a next panel or they're they're just coming from some another panel or another place, another page. I f- I like that a lot. So. I wish the stories felt like that. Yeah, I wish so too. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of problems um, with gender politics, uh, with racial politics, um, and I think that this is not a great book for kids to read. Given that, like, there's a lot of it that even if it is tongue in cheek, which I don't think it is, um, just reading through it, like, there's so much, just teeny little moments of misogyny. Mm-hmm. that I would hate for a kid reading this to internalize any of that. Mm-hmm. Like uh, somebody mentioning that he thought that somebody's opinions were fairly intelligent considering her gender, like mm-hmm. that kind of a thing, just constantly. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I just I wouldn't recommend this based on that. Like if you were looking for a good Greek history book, I would I would go with something else instead. Yeah. No, and and you know, some people might say why would that matter? You know, what does it matter if something's in the in a book and we know it's an old book and we know that um it's not something that um is the way our life is today, but I feel like the more you hear a message like that, the more it chips into your little reptile brain and we all have them (laughs) and it chips into your subconscious and you start to feel that after enough chips, (laughs) you know, enough, enough little pecks at your subconscious. I think it starts to, it accumulates and I think it, it does matter. Well, and it's not like the little house books, for instance, where people have made similar comments about many aspects of those books, but in those books, there are so many other things to really love that it makes it worth considering those issues and the, the problematic nature as talking points rather than let's throw these books away. Whereas this book, I don't, it just doesn't have those redeeming qualities. It doesn't have the things that make it valuable in other ways enough mm-hmm. to make up for it. Not to make up for it, not to excuse the flaws, but to make it worthwhile to really stop and, and look at them. Mm-hmm. This is just, here's a boring yeah. book with, with some misogyny thrown in. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes me kind of sad for her to have grown up apparently in such a time that that just came out when well, she she's, wrote her book. <laughs> she's an obviously a brilliant lady. Oh, yeah. Um, I... I may not care for this book, but I, you know, not, nothing against her. Mm-hmm. Um, she obviously was educated out the, out wazoo. the ears. <laughs> I was trying to not say wazoo. Out the, <laughs> out the ears, you know, I mean, she knew what she was doing. She obviously wrote a lot of history books. Um, some of her other books focused on the Trojan War, um, the Red Revolution, and then she did biographies of Eugene O'Neill and Winston Churchill and Edith Wharton, Gandhi and Tom Paine. So she knew her stuff and she was publishing a lot of books. Um, yeah, I, I really wish that she had had that enough in her life that she had been able to put it in some of her books or put it in her books that, you know, what women have to say is worthwhile. And even though I didn't enjoy this book, I'm glad that she... I'm glad that she published. I'm glad that she was able to use her great intellect mm-hmm. and at the time maybe re- reached some other, some kids with the idea that women can write big, serious books. Yeah, that's true. But overall, I, I don't, I don't like this book. I would never recommend it to anyone. Um, aside from looking at the drawings. What would you recommend instead? Um, well, this is definitely a read better. Mm-hmm. It's not a, a one to one because this is not necessarily about Greek history. It's about the Greek gods. One of the Time Warp Trio books. Uh-huh. Um, it's called All Greek to Me um, by John Sheshka and illustrated by Lane Smith. It was published in 1999 by Puffin. Um, it has a sassy take on the Greek gods and. Um, and of course the three main, uh, main characters have this book that they time travel with. Um, it's short, it's a little simple, um, but it's so much fun. And 
the art is really good. Again, that's the only thing they have in common to me. Um, but I would really say that if you want to introduce the idea of, of ancient Greek, ancient Greece to a child, or you just want to read something that's set in ancient Greece, even though it is the gods, um, I would say this is a much more, this is a much more fun introduction. What about you? It's easier to find books about Greek mythology than it is about Greek heroes or Greek mm -hmm. history. But like the classic one that always springs to mind is the Dolaires, which is the Dolaires Book of Greek Myths um, by Ingrid Dolaire, which is spelled D-A-U-L-A-I-R-E. That is sort of your classic go-to one for Greek mythology. Um, but if you look, um, like, to be honest, I have not read these myself, but I, I just looked around a little bit. And if you're looking for books about Greek heroes, which is essentially what this book is about, um, Rick Riordan, who is the author of the Percy Jackson books, um, has a book called Percy Jackson's Greek Heroes, which I think covers a lot of it pretty well. There's also Roger Lancelin Green's Tales of the Greek Heroes and Puffin Classics Tales of the Greek Heroes. So if you look around, there are actually quite a lot. It's just that um, you might not necessarily have heard of them. But once you start looking, there's boatloads. Um, another series that I would say is a read better than... <clears throat> it's kind of weird. I read this as a kid, and I really loved it then. And now I'm sure if I read it as a grown-up, it might not hold up as well. <laughs> um, but there are a series of books about the Catholic saints. Um, and so you'd have to be okay with reading that. But they were really well-done children's historical fiction. So if you can kind of overlook or if you're fine with the religious content... It's not super preachy, actually, but they're just really well-written. And so my favorite one was called St. Teresa and the Roses by um, Helen Walker Horner. But there's also uh, more about, like, Joan of Arc, but a lot of the more action-y kind of... Um, action-y kind of saints. Like, they're um, very interesting life stories and all the adventure stuff that happened to them. And it's really well-written for kids. Like, I have vivid memories of reading those books even now, and I probably read them 30 years ago. Um, so not at all the same subject matter, but just in terms of good historical fiction for kids. So, Marcy, what do you think of Retsina? <laughs> okay. I We took a sip when we first started, and I have been trying this whole time to think of a good description, and I have figured it out. It's when you have a yard trash bag and you fill it up with pine needles and then you wait. <laughs> it, that is the imaginary taste that goes with this wine. It tastes a little bit like pine needles and a little bit like dirt. And it looks like regular wine and it, it does not smell like regular wine. See, to me, it smells like pine and oregano. It does smell like oregano. And those are fine. Those are fun things. Together, when it goes in my mouth, it doesn't, it tastes spicy in a weird way. Well, you know, I, 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 my husband is a home brewer and I've made lots of wine and mead myself. So I understand what like skunked wine tastes like or just like, 
various mistakes you can make in winemaking. Not, that's none of these. Like this, none of those have happened here. This is obviously what they intended to happen. So it's, it's strange because I've had lots of bad wine and none of it in this direction. Mm. This almost has like, when we were drinking that drink with scotch, that kind of vague... The bog mummy drink? Yes, the bog mummy drink. This has this like, that a little <clears throat> bit tastes like dirt. I Okay, here's what I think. That you could possibly replicate this by taking a piece of cork, okay? Putting oregano and pine needles on it, mm-hmm. and then soaking it in a Pinot Grigio for like a year, <laughs> then I think you have Ritzino. Maybe that's how they make it now. <laughs> well, I was reading a smidge about it online, and apparently so the reason that it got made in the first place is because they used to stopper the the containers that they would transport the wine in with pine. And I guess they just ended up liking the taste. I feel like maybe the people who created this didn't have access to a lot of flavors. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't have a wide array of flavors that they could choose from. So this was something new. And they were like, this is so exciting. We have a new flavor. And then they (laughs) have continued it. And there's lots of flavors to choose from right now in our lives, right? Like there's so many things that we can choose to put in our mouths. This is not something just like the book that I plan (laughs) on ever really drinking again. Maybe it's different when you're at the source. At least, I, you know, that's the caveat for Ritzina for me. If I'm in Greece... And there's like homemade Ritzina or like, you know, a restaurant makes. The authentic, yeah. Yeah, I like how I threw off if I'm in Greece. Like, <laughs> I've, like I'm a world traveler, but I'm, I'm not. The next book in our season will be the 1963 Newbery Medal winner, A Wrinkle in Time, which we love so much that we've actually recorded multiple companion episodes to it so check out our existing episodes with allison avaska manager uh, hope larson who is the illustrator of the graphic novel version of a wrinkle in time and our interview with charlotte jones boykless a granddaughter of madeline lingle and co-author with lena roy of becoming madeline a biography of the author of a wrinkle in time by her granddaughters Please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you are listening. It helps others to find the podcast and helps us keep the podcast going. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Mytinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is Newberry Tart. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot com.